1: With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with
0: Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein.
2: We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomklein. Hope you are enjoying a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend with your families. Um, once again, we are all about small business. And on this program, we love to spotlight entrepreneurs, uh, business leaders that are making a difference in the community. And aside for loving his product, which you'll understand in a moment, I am uh, completely flattered and 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 very much appreciative for my next guest, Mark Shulman, uh of Eli's Cheesecake, for joining me on Get Down to Business. Mark, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us, and more importantly, for all that you do in the community.
3: No, thank you. Uh, you know, Chicago is a Great place. Uh, You know, my family history dates back years, you know, 76 years in the food business. And, um, you know, hey, we're really grateful to be here on Thanksgiving, and the holidays are such a great time to be in the food business in chicago
2: absolutely everybody uh everybody's enjoying time uh, with their families and new year's resolutions is a month away so we don't need to worry about that for now uh people can focus on their diet and exercise later for now enjoying good food is important so as they say on sound of music let's start at the very uh, beginning a very very good place to start mark your family um who who is who is eli uh, of eli's Cheesecake? Okay. <laughs>
3: Well, Eli is my father, so that makes it uh, pretty easy. So my dad uh, was born in Chicago in 1910, a uh, child of um, new immigrants to the country who came in 1907 and went, in to, went into the restaurant business in 1940. His father was a baker uh, who died during the Depression, so my dad had a out of school, uh, went into the Army in World War II. Um, and really had a reputation over the years of being a great host. So there was the original Eli's Ogden Huddle went to the north side. Eli staged El Chutesen on Oak Street. Um, our legacy restaurant, Eli's, the place for steak, opened in 1966, my father and mother, and that was open until uh, 2005. It's now the site of Lurie Children's Hospital. So over those years, Eli developed a reputation. Um, was a great host, um, serving really good food, unique foods, and my dad as a classic entrepreneur. Always wanted uh, to be creative, so in his kitchen he created uh, calves liver Eli, which was his vision of a great liver dish, and he would sell so much. Uh, very famous for uh, his steaks, for chicken in the pot, for uh, actually, we my wife did a uh, Eli's cheesecake cookbook last year, talking about. Many of the recipes, but at the age of 70, he really felt that he wanted to take a signature dish outside the restaurant uh, that he could sell on a broader basis. And, and growing up, he'd always talk about Hershey and Wrigley, uh, his great stories. And, you know, fortunately, it became Cheesecake. So, First Taste of Chicago came along in 1980. Um, people were really excited about the product. We've done Taste ever since. And then that became. The basis for the business that it's expanded to today, which is now certainly many, many times bigger. We sell on a national and international basis through many channels of distribution, retail, food service, airlines, and uh, probably all of our products are made in Chicago.
2: It's uh, it's a fantastic addition to our Chicago business community, and so talking about the products, how many different varieties are there of Eli's cheesecake? And I know that there's more than just cheesecake.
3: Right. I think cheesecake got us started, and, and I think within those categories, and we, you know, you can order online, or you can get it in a Mariano's or Jewel. Um, I'd say in our core line of products, there's probably about. Uh, 75, you know, cheesecakes and different types, but in addition to that, um, if it's tarts or mini pies or cakes or carrot cakes, uh, our product line is certainly diversified also because we sell many uh, different types of food service operators nationally. So when people visit our cafe at our bakery, which is a popular destination over the holidays, um, you know, you'll see a lot of very, um, as you saw when you visit us That's there, right. um, some very unique things uh, that you never would have thought Eli's made.
2: It's uh, it's pretty cool, and there's not many things that I'm more passionate about, as my family knows, than cheesecake and coffee. And the nice thing is that you actually have that variety over there, and you could actually get a coffee and you could get a cheesecake at the cafe, which, of course, we'll, uh, we'll make sure our listeners can find out how they can visit uh, very, very shortly. But Mark, you know, moving moving beyond cheesecake, which I know you and I share a passion for, of course, but talking about community, uh, Mark, I visited the operation and I saw the people and I saw how passionate and dedicated and loyal they are. And I know how passionate, dedicated and loyal you are to them. If I may ask, what motivates you to be as involved and philanthropic and, and, and giving as you are and continue to invest in the Chicago Business and nonprofit community
3: well I'd say one you know obviously the start um, you know with my with my father, with my parents of my father put up a sign um in the early forties, which is you know if you have no money, come in, we'll feed you free, and he would always say, you know charity will never bust you and or you know treat the other as if you were the other, so I think we have uh, always believed um you know, in community support. And my dad and the restaurant, the one thing I learned was that the most important person in the restaurant, employee associate, was the dishwasher and the busboy who turned the table around, who allowed you to serve more guests. So I think, you know, we've always valued our people. We have a lot of people who have worked in hospitality and have come t- to join us. Um, in terms of hiring our associates, I think we've always had some um, Good partners. We work with Refugee One. We've had a number of refugees, and and do certainly in our business. We work with um, New Horizon Center, with Vaughan Academy, with Annixter Center. We hire people for peop, hiring people with disabilities. Uh, so we we have. You know, we're, we're we're tied to them. And then, you know, being involved, I think, uh, as I would explain to young people who want to be entrepreneurs, who want to be in business, when you're in business, you get the opportunity to spend your time helping, you know, the community. And I think as a, you know, smaller business... We feel real positive, you know, uh, the, for Thanksgiving. We just did an event uh, with Sonia Jackson to feed a, uh, a thousand people for dessert. We have 50 pumpkin cheesecakes that went to refugee ones, so new immigrants could take our cheesecake to their host family for their first Thanksgiving here. Uh, we partner with Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences in Mount Greenwood, and we just participated with their. Um, Thanksgiving dinner for the community. And the
2: list goes on and on and on yeah, in terms and I of think the involvement. It's
3: great, I mean, hey, and and you know and and really the fun part is is when you give product, it's like, you know, sometimes it feels like we're giving gold, you know, say would you rather have money or cheesecake and people say, hey, I want the cheesecake.
2: So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're talking with Mark Schulman of Eli's Cheesecake and we have just about a minute and a half remaining. Mark sticking to that theme about young people giving back to community and that's great advice for them. Is talking about business, is there anything that you wish you knew um, that 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 you can share with young entrepreneurs, that you wish you knew when you got started in business with your dad, that you can pass along to some of our small business owners that are listening today?
3: I think um, as I watch my dad and, you know, he developed and introduced Eli's Cheesecake when he was, you know, 70 years old, I think you always have to be curious and things change. You know, I think they change because of technology. They They change... Um, whole industries come and go, and I think, you know, you really need to be, um, to read, um, to communicate, to network, uh, listen to your show, um, you know, get involved in groups. You know, the more you communicate, because you never know, you know, a lot of times people ask what the next big thing is. Well, the next big thing really comes out of a lot of little things, and sometimes it's a thing you never thought would go anywhere, and, and I think you got to be careful not to be... Um, judgmental, or, you know, we'll always say, we'll never do this, or we'll never, you know, things change. And as I say, you know, I think what we see is the long-term benefits of our efforts and, and the leverage and success of our people that really help us grow for
2: the future? That's great. Well, on this Thanksgiving week, and I'm I'm grateful and appreciative for people like you that are uh, that 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 give to this uh, to this community. Um, Mark Schulman of Eli's Cheesecake, by the way, cheesecake that uh, that freezes really well um, and is great. Uh, great. Uh, thing to pack along uh, during the rest of the holiday season. Mark, how can people find Eli's Cheesecake online Um, and find out information about the cafe?
3: Right. You can go to our um, website, uh, elischeesecake.com. You can order Eli's online. We ship all over. We have some great uh, uh, corporate gifts. Or come visit us. We have a big doc sale on December 10th. We have all sorts of uh, activities, but it's on our website and our. You know, we're on the northwest side. What's fun about our bakery? It's where we make things, and uh, you you'll, you'll be really surprised at the great desserts you can get when you come visit.
2: Eli'sCheesecake.com, Mark Schulman, thank you so much for joining us. We'll uh, we'll be in touch. We're looking forward to having you join us again. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, coming up after the break, we've got more guest content, information, advice for all of you small business owners uh, that are listening. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We're powered by TanDEM HR, and we'll be right back. You are listening to get down to business the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship we are powered by Tandem HR your solution center you could give them a call 630-928-0510 630-928-0510 check out their website tandemhr.com so uh there was an election i think it was a few days ago a few weeks ago i don't i don't, I don't know i it it's, it seems like distant distant memory but there was a lot of promises made and uh, and now we have a new president-elect, President-elect Trump. He's talking a lot about infrastructure. Thrilled to be joined by Norm Anderson, who has commissioned a poll uh, to determine the impact of, of this political discourse on infrastructure policy. Norm, welcome back to Get Down to Business.
4: Hey, thank you very much. Good to hear you again.
2: Absolutely. So, let's talk about infrastructure and sort of a debrief after the election. A lot of promises, a lot of commitment. Uh Trump has talked a little bit about uh about investing uh, a a a lot of money, although perhaps it's it's a drop in the bucket in terms of what's needed in, in in infrastructure. What do you think about his promises and what do you think about sort of this post-election? Let's let's look at what's next.
4: Sure look i think the, the promises are great i, I think you know a trillion dollars over the next eight to ten years makes a lot of sense We our calculation is actually that we need about two point four trillion dollars which is just an amazing amount of money But one of the things that's going on is that you know you hear politicians talking about roads and bridges what you really need is is to think about what the global economy is going to look like and how we need to invest to be as successful as possible in creating jobs for that new economy. So you've got, you know, a big issue. You got the sort of the legacy infrastructure uh, stuff. Then you got what would you do with driverless vehicles, 32 billion sensors on buildings all over cities across the country to make that work? Uh, and then you've got to just figure out, my goodness, how quickly the global economy uh evolved over the last 10 years and how little infrastructure we built. What kind of investment do we need to make to be successful from now until 2025 and um and how are we going to grow the kind of economy that's going to allow our, our people to have good jobs
2: so why do people not talk about this enough um we'll get to the politics about it in a second and i firmly believe this is a good bipartisan uh example of, of ways to work together but you know we all use the roads i i you know I'm flying this weekend, and, and, and O'Hare, while it might be better than LaGuardia, it's still not great. Why Why is—I I know you, you mentioned to me that an early Obama White House veteran told you that if infrastructure is not a top-three issue, then nothing will get done, there will be no oxygen for it. You know, why Why do people not realize that this is such a major concern?
4: I think there, there are a lot of issues, but one of the, the big issues, and it's a federal government-caused problem, is that— we, we, we don't look at infrastructure as an investment, we look at, at it as an expense, so we're always looking in the rearview mirror rather than trying to figure out if we make these investments, which are 30- to 40-year investments, what what do they have to create in terms of jobs and then documenting that? What do they have to create in terms of business opportunities documenting that? We don't see that, right? So we, we get a sense that we just have to have more taxes and hopefully we get better roads or better airports. But let me go to your airport issue as well, just quickly, because I think it's, it's fascinating. All the airports in the U.S. are publicly owned. Uh, wh- why should that be? Um, it'd be phenomenal if you could come up with a public-private model for investing private investment in, in, in airports, especially some of the smaller regional airports that are you know, now uh, sitting there almost unused and have huge local economic development potential.
2: Absolutely, and and again, this is something that we all that we all deal with. And, and in a moment, I'm going to talk to you about the impact of infrastructure on the economy, particularly as it relates to our small business uh, listeners. Right. Um, so I want to talk about that in a moment. But once again, we're chatting with Norm Anderson. You're the uh, you're the president of a global consulting firm, a nonpartisan consulting firm based in Washington, D.C., and you focus on infrastructure. Let's talk about the politics of this, uh, Trump. Promise the one trillion dollars. You believe a lot more is needed. This is this something that he'll be able to work with the Democratic leaders in the House and Senate. Uh, assuming it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, is this something that he's going to be able to get the Democrats on board, but perhaps not the Republicans?
4: Actually, I think it's a I think it's a perfect bipartisan issue. What I worry about, I'll get I'll get to your question. I worry about the the ability of uh, any uh, political administration to manage an infrastructure initiative of, of this magnitude, but it, it strikes me that someone whose background is as a developer has a better chance than, than a, a normal politician in terms of being able to get this done. But you know, from a Democrat versus Republican point of view, it's fascinating, right, because infrastructure has always been a, a Democratic issue. Um, but what we're seeing right now is that Democrats like this issue a lot. It creates jobs, creates union jobs. Uh, creates opportunities. Republicans like this issue a lot, as long as it's revenue neutral, where you can bring in private investment opportunities. And then if you go to um, your point, which I think is really important, the small business piece of this, 40% of invoicing to infrastructure projects comes from s- small and medium-sized businesses. So it's a huge opportunity creator for that segment of the economy that I think voted pretty dramatically overwhelmingly for Trump. So, you know, you've got the union guys who favor it. You've got the small business guys who favor it. you got the Democrats who favor it. And you've got the president of the Republicans um, to, trying to make sure that they stay in line. So in terms of uh, having the forces aligned, it makes a lot of sense. I just worry about the level of sophistication in thinking in Washington to be able to really build infrastructure for a 10-year period, making investments, productive ones, in the right kinds of projects.
2: So, Norm, let's zoom out for a second. Um, While infrastructure may not have made the list of of what is at the tip of people's tongues in terms of what's important to them as they talked about the issues of this past election, uh, overwhelmingly, and I, I do believe this is the reason why, uh, Trump uh, Trump uh, partially won was is is jobs. Everybody wants to talk about jobs. The, Norm, you and I agree that infrastructure investing in infrastructure is also investing in jobs. Uh, do people not understand the connection?
4: <laughs> well, I think you know. Again, I, I think it's been mismanaged pretty dramatically over the last twenty five or so years, where you're promised massive infrastructure investments. Um, to create wonderful jobs, um, people seem to think that the investments happened, but the jobs didn't get created. But if you look at the Obama stimulus, that was what? seven hundred billion dollars, but only eighty five billion of that went to infrastructure, and that's over a ten year period through 2017. So not a big um, infrastructure initiative uh, came out of the Obama administration. so, you know, connecting those dots is impossible because um, the, the beginning point uh, didn't really exist as it was advertised.
2: So, Norm, um, we've got about a minute and a half remaining. Um, you, you talked, to, you, you mentioned some numbers in terms of what you think is needed for in- infrastructure investment. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, about airports. We talked a little bit about the roads. What are the other areas that uh, that you think, if if you had the uh, the checkbook, that uh, you think we need the investment in? Um, in other areas of, of infrastructure as well.
4: Well, one of the things we need to do is we need to make sure that our cities are fantastic, and I think a big piece of that is transit. I think another big piece of that is our wastewater w- and wastewater systems. Right, you can't have things like happened in Flint happen anywhere else um, ever. But but there's also how do you get investment into projects? So for instance, there's probably 150 billion dollars in what we call state of good repair opportunities in uh, in our transit systems, which is perfect for private investors to get involved in replacing generators and, and rolling stock and and that kind of thing. So there's there's not there's great opportunities in airports, transit, water, wastewater, important opportunities. Then there's opportunities for the future in terms of driverless vehicles. What are you going to do with all the parking garages uh, when you don't have cars parking in them for ninety five percent of their Usable lives, so you get you get to transform that piece of our cities into something that's much more interesting and much more productive. And sure. there's a way to think through how to get private investment, especially small and medium sized business, is involved in investing in our infrastructure. And
2: Norm, that what I think about is the opportunities for uh, for faster transit, uh, uh, railroad yeah. uh, investment. Uh, people again talking about small business, the ability for people to conduct business more effectively between different cities. I'm here in the Midwest, but between New York and Boston, D.C. and Boston, uh, along the West Coast and the Midwest. Uh, lots more to talk about next time. Norm Anderson, uh, how can people learn more about this important study that you commissioned and learn more about your important work?
4: Oh, thank you very much. Just go to our website, www.cg-la.com. And you can download our Blueprint uh, 2025 study.
2: Fantastic. Norm Anderson, we appreciate your, uh, your, your prioritization of this important issue. We'll be sure to follow the progress. And I know that uh, over the coming weeks uh, before the inauguration, I know you'll continue to be talking up this issue. Appreciate you joining us. Coming up after the break, we've got more tips, advice, and information for all of you listeners. And get down to business. As always, get on my website, shalomkline.com. Download podcasts of Conversations. Uh, like this with Norm Anderson and future guests. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And I'm thrilled to be joined by attorney Robert Markoff, um, a uh, a man who has written extensively about uh, collection uh, collection law, including the history of Abraham Lincoln as a collection lawyer. Um, Bob, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Shalom. I'm pleased. Pleased to be here.
2: Absolutely. So let's talk about business for a moment. Uh, in this time where every business is trying to become more profitable, you believe that businesses have an opportunity to collect on what is already owed to them. Tell us a little bit about your experience and some of the tactics that you think small business owners, in particular, can be can be utilizing to collect on their receivables.
0: Well,
1: the first thing is don't let receivables become too large. If someone's not paying, cut them off, cut your losses, then uh, try to collect on your own, even offer a discount if necessary to bring in the money today. Failing that using a collection service such as our office, um, that's going to cut into the profit but we have a saying, delinquent accounts are not like fine wine they don't improve with time so act quickly
2: <laughs> that makes sense and it, when you talk about timing and and as you say it, it, it does not uh, does not age well what is the appropriate amount of time that a small business owner should look at uh, their receivables and say gosh I got to do something about this how long should we wait for that aging uh, to uh, to say enough is enough
1: there is no hard and fast rule, it actually depends on the industry you're in. Some industries, it may be uh, uh, acceptable to wait 60, 90, uh, six months even. However, know your customer, know your client. If they have told you they aren't going to pay or they cannot pay you, then it's time to take action. Uh, sitting on it, hoping and wishing that something else will happen, uh, it does not make a lot of sense.
2: That, uh, well, that does make sense. And uh, once again, we're chatting with attorney Bob Markoff, uh, talking to us a little bit about collections. And um, so, so Bob, you just gave some good advice in terms of when a business owner should look at their receivables. And, and you know, obviously, common sense plays in. If somebody tells you even after a short amount of time, they're not going to pay, that probably is, is an issue for collections. So explain to us the difference between receivables, a collection agency, and perhaps when uh, you've got to take matters into your own hands and go uh, go to an attorney like yourself and uh, take so, take somebody to small claims or, or perhaps something larger than that.
1: Well, a receivable is money that's due you. And sitting on a, a flow chart doesn't help you at all. So once you've determined that nothing is happening and the account should be sent to collections, there are two options. One is a licensed collection agency, and I, I caution uh, our listeners, uh, you want to make sure that they're license, the agency's licensed to do business within the state of Illinois. And the other is a collection attorney, a collection practice. In some, cir- in some circumstances, we operate in a similar manner to a collection agency, but we are not an agency. We are attorneys. And we do function on a contingent fee. Uh, We do hourly work also. It varies. But uh, generally, I would say that a collection attorney has a little more oomph, if you will, in sending out a demand letter for payment. It comes on an attorney's letterhead. That said, collection agencies also do fine work, and we represent some collection agencies. volume work in terms of smaller balanced accounts, um, they are geared with call centers to continually write letters and make phone calls. But at the end of the day, if the account is not paid or brought current, then it's time to consider a litigation as an option.
2: Fascinating information. And, uh, Bob, we don't have a, a lot of time remaining, but I know you're a little bit of a history buff, and I know that you've shared with your colleagues that as a young man, the, the future President Lincoln suffered financial hardships. Tell us why you, why you believe Honest Abe was a collection attorney.
1: Well, it, it's not a question of what I believe. The fact is that 60% of Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln's known court cases, were debt collection matters. That was his bread and butter and everything else gave him additional profits. As a young man, Abraham Lincoln was also a debtor and he had three judgments entered against him, and the sheriff actually came out uh, three times, uh, the last time sold his horse, saddle, and bridle, and his surveying equipment. So he was no stranger to the collection process even before he became an attorney. And by the way, that that relates to the Lincoln Berry store in New Salem, Illinois, where he couldn't pay the note that he <laughs> used to purchase the store.
2: Amazing history and amazing insight for small business owners uh, focused on... We are all focused on uh, on making sure that we're collecting. You're not running much of a business if you're just invoicing, but no money's coming in. So, Bob Markoff, um, we appreciate your expertise. How can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more and discuss uh, the process of collections and collection law?
1: Well, I offer two options. One, uh, my email address is bob at Markofflaw.com, spelling Markoff. M-A-R-K-O-F as and father, F as and father, law.com, or my direct line, 312-698-7333. I'm happy to speak with anyone who would care to discuss uh, collection matters.
2: Fantastic, Bob Markoff. Thank you so much for joining us and get down to business. In fact, we have more uh, insight, information, guests, and, and 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 guidance for small business owners coming up for you after the break. So, Chicago, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. You can always get on my website, ShalomKlein.com, where you can download podcasts, past episodes of Get Down to Business, and find out who's going to be on next week. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And here in Get Down to Business, we're all about uh, finding ways to help small business owners uh, save money, be more effective, but also to follow innovation. And here to join me to discuss some new, I guess, innovation that also helps save money is my good friend, Ron Mandelbaum. And you have focused on energy. Uh, Ron, tell us a little bit about Noble and your work in helping businesses uh, save on on costs of energy.
5: Thank you, Shalom. A uh, pleasure to uh, join you. Uh, yes, we started Noble Conservation Solutions almost ten years ago now, and uh, the uh, what we found is that the for owners and operators of commercial real estate, uh, they often uh, viewed their utility bill and specifically the electric bill as just a fixed cost that. Uh, um, Is just there. You got to pay it. It's constantly going up every year, and there's nothing to do about it. And we uh, wanted to change that paradigm and uh, let uh, those owners and operators of uh, of buildings realize that uh, they can be sustainable. Uh, they can do uh, perform some green practices that make good financial sense and good business sense, and, uh, and actually save some uh, very significant dollars over what uh, had been just a fixed utility
2: cost. So, Ron, let's talk about the process. Uh, somebody calls you and they say, "I want to save money. I want to. I want to look at ways to, uh, to to improve the environment." What do you and your team at Noble Conservation Solutions do to effectively size up that building and, and determine the opportunities?
5: Sure. Um, uh, I'd be happy to walk you through that. Uh, this industry of energy efficiency uh, is, is very fragmented, uh, Shalom. Uh, you, you have uh, people who are out and about doing audits and assessments um, and then would hand someone a nice uh, designer or, or binder saying, "Okay, here you go." They often charge some fees for that, but then they're totally disconnected from the actual uh, design or, or certainly from the implementation. There's architects and engineers that play a very critical role, and then there's general contractors who actually install and uh, uh, whether it's lighting uh, HVAC solutions, uh, 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 solar you, know, et cetera. What we pride ourselves on in the unique value proposition of Noble is the integrated one-stop shop and kind of a seamless solution. So in the scenario you just described where a uh, prospective client would call up and say, we've got a building, we've got a series of buildings in town all across the country, um, uh, and we need to save some energy. We need to save some money associated with that. What we would then do is uh, bring in an audit and assessment team that's going to look at the overall energy utilization of the building, uh, with starting with a deep um, uh, emphasis on lighting because in the world of energy efficiency, lighting is what we call the low-hanging fruit. It's very visual. It often has the quickest uh, return on investment and payback, and if someone is going to embark on those kinds of endeavors, usually the first place they're going to start is lighting. Uh, we do get involved in a number of other energy systems, gas, water, etc., but generally it starts with lighting. Um, and lighting is very visual and it's very important. Fascinating. So therefore, uh, we would take an audit and assessment, we would bring that data back, put it into our proprietary software, and start to, I call it like turn the dials on the dashboard. And uh, you've got different dials there that are going to achieve uh, you know, the um, uh, uh, savings and, and affect a, a change in different areas. One of those is light level. Another one is Uh, cost savings uh, in the area of, you know, reducing the uh, the wattage. Another one might be uh, uh, effective uh, capture and optimization of utility incentive packages. There's government tax credits. We turn all those dials and generally come back to a prospective client with uh, two to three options and proposals, sort of a good, better, best scenario. So, Ron, I have to
2: ask case. you, as much as everybody wants to save money and certainly they want to take advantage of those tax credits and, 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 and uh, reduce their wattage and uh, impact on, on, on the environment, um, you know, Ron, do, 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 does the final outcome, the final product that you put into these buildings, does it look nice?
5: Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's often, even someone that comes and approaches us regarding cost savings, which is usually the driver, and in a tight financial environment, it's the CFOs, and the and the executives and owners you know that, that uh, it's got it's got to make business financial sense but a natural byproduct is that it's bright it's visual whether it's a senior living uh, building uh, that has a residential feel because that's that's people's homes or it's a warehouse where uh, uh, safety as well as uh, effective operations and pickpacking and shipping and, and pulling the right items off the shelf or a high-end retail store whatever the environment uh, lighting is very visual and very important important. Important and uh, the new LED. We are in the wave and age of LED right now, and and you can go into everything from Home Depot, which is a more of a residential grade product, to the commercial solutions that we install. the, uh, uh, we are in the age and wave of LED. There's no question about it. And this is a perfect time to be contemplating that kind of uh, uh, up, uh, upgrade
2: to uh, someone's building. Ron Mandelbaum of Noble Conservation Solutions, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, we've got about a minute remaining. I want to make sure our listeners can find you and get a hold of you to discuss this process further. Um, but final question, are, is there any building that's too big or too small for you to, uh, to take a peek at?
5: It's really not. I mean, uh, we we range from a uh, you know small five thousand square foot warehouse uh, to a uh, Fortune five hundred company that had a uh, uh, property many blocks uh, uh, long that was 2.7 million square feet under roof. Uh, is, uh, we, we chunk it into bite-sized pieces and, and tackle it so there really is nothing too small other than single-family residences we mm-hmm. don't deal with, but uh, multifamily and virtually every other kind of uh, uh, commercial real estate. Great probably, innovative
2: probably, solutions. Ron, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more?
5: Probably the best way is just uh, out to our website, uh, www.noblecs. N-O-B-L-E, Noble Conservation Solutions, so noblecs.com. And uh, there's uh, a lot of information on our company, our process, uh, uh, case studies, examples, and, of course, contact uh, information on how to reach us.
2: Great. Well, Ron, we'll spend some more time talking about this uh, this great innovative uh, solution that can help people save money and uh, and improve the environment. We all care about those things. Uh, Ron Mandelbaum, Noble Conservation Solutions, NobleCS.com. We'll be back after the break with more tips, advice, and information for all these small business owners. Get on my website, ShalomKlein.com, where you can download podcasts from the show. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, now it's time for Business Tip of the Week, which can be heard daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM 560 The answer. Effective January 1, 2017, and that is right around the corner. Employers that partner with a professional employer organization, a PEO to outsource payroll and benefits administration will have additional protection with a new act, the Small Business Efficiency Act. Companies working with a PEO that become a certified professional employer organization with the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, will experience benefits beyond those that they'll naturally get in a traditional PEO business relationship. So obviously you're asking how can this new law benefit your small business, which is a question you should be asking about every law that is passed in Congress. It's peace of mind. This certification is completely voluntary. If your professional employer organization becomes one of these uh, preferred uh, certified professional employer organizations, then they're no longer held responsible for the submission of that payment to the government. If the professional employer organization doesn't pay it, the business owner is not going to get penalized, and there's no tax penalties by associating with a bigger pool of employees in the mid, in the middle of the year. This certification eliminates the wage-based restart for businesses that join or leave a PEO relationship mid-year. In the past, businesses were penalized when partnering with a PEO mid-year. Their employment tax wage base restarted because their employees transferred from one federal tax id to another the government now recognizes that the tax payment regardless of which tax id it's remitted under allowing businesses to partner with other businesses at any time during the year without the financial burden of double taxation and additionally the sbea this new act that was passed over the past year, confirms that businesses that work with uh, with certified professional employer organizations still qualify for specified federal tax credits that the organization would be entitled to claim if there is no PEO relationship. Tandem HR, our good friends, we always call them our solution center. They're a Chicago area professional employer organization in the process of finalizing their certified uh, certification with the IRS to offer clients the additional legal security of this act. While there's uh, a $1 million surety bond through the uh, through the ESAC, a lot of acronyms, Employer Services Assurance Corporation certification for over 15 years, we know that that additional certification brings additional valuable benefits to small businesses in the Chicagoland area. And, of course, I encourage you to get on the phone with them. Uh, you could give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630 928 and you could talk to them about why uh, this, a partnering with a professional employer organization, especially a certified professional employer organization, means that your small business will have additional benefits and, and advantages available. They are our, our solution center. You could give them a call 630. 630- 9280510 630 or visit their website, tandemhr.com, where a lot more information is available, tandemhr.com. They are our solution center. Give them a call. Wish them happy holidays. Thank them for, for their support of Get Down to Business. And speaking of a get down to business, we'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. as always with great guest content and information available to all of our friends in the small business community. But of course, as we wrap up this holiday weekend, I wish all of you Happy holidays. Uh, believe it or not, we're entering into December. It's a good time to do a uh, a, a moment of uh, reflection, looking at the past year in business and seeing what's been done right, what perhaps you could be doing better as we go into 2017. Believe it or not, yes, 2017 is right upon us and every business owner should be looking at best practices and trying to see how they could be a better employer, a better partner in community. And that's what this show is all about. Small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Hope you enjoyed today's guests. Learned a little bit about collection law, learned about businesses, giving back in community and learned some inside information about new regulations happening around the country. You can always get on my website, ShalomKlein.com. That's where you can download podcasts of past episodes to get down to business and get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week on the show. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. But once again, in this month of December, as I always say, get into networking, get into networking, get out there. There's a lot of great opportunities so you don't write off an entire month on the calendar. There's holiday parties, there's networking events. Many of them are posted on my website, ShalomKlein.com. That's where you could also get a uh, the contact information for any of our guests who appeared today on Get Down to Business. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer.